cannot make a moral wrong a civil right. You have no right to do that. It's a moral wrong. Because if God doesn't fix this city, if God isn't the answer, if God isn't at the foundation, you're going to have bloodshed coursing down the corners of our streets, our schools, and our workplaces, and you're not going to have a police force big enough to stop it. Because when you sow bloodshed in the womb and the three abortion mills here in this city, you're going to reap it in the streets. I got a feeling in my bones, in my bones, I got a feeling something I Unless you saw the video, which I hope will go viral, you probably didn't recognize that voice, but that was Flip Benham, lives right down the road in Concord, North Carolina, and he spoke recently at a Charlotte City Council meeting. Welcome to the Anakipto Forum. I'm going to play the entire clip. It's a little bit over three minutes, I think, but he says some, uh, some interesting things, and more important, I think is the fact that this is a venue where many of us could really have an impact. And I'm really into this thing about let's quit over-informationizing, soaking and stewing all of this knowledge and news and following all of these things and doing nothing with it. We really do need to impact the culture. And especially in these closing moments, I mean, let's face it, as I've said many times, and you probably know, the Titanic has struck the berg. We're heading for the bottom. Davy Jones' locker is the next stop for this little transit, and we need to get as many people as possible into the lifeboats, if at all possible. And I think even more importantly, we need to demonstrate to the culture and to the spirit world and everybody else who's looking that Jesus Christ deserves our obedience. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. He's sending us into these venues. So anyway, www.anakipto.com, I've told you that a zillion times, I'll probably quit saying it. I happened to listen to one of my programs on YouTube and realized how much I lean on the website for people who may simply be listening and not be watching. So that's the website, that's all I'm going to say about it, except I will probably read from some of the items that I have posted there, because I think it's good stuff. Email Steve Kerp. S-T-E-V-E-K-E-R-P at A-T-T dot net. Let's get into this Flip Benham thing. There was a city council meeting, and apparently the chairwoman or mayor or whoever runs the show down there, whatever they call her, decided that they would try to normalize sodomy as a civil right within their municipal jurisdiction. And Flip took exception to that. I wonder why. Well, he has biblical grounds for it, of course, and I want you to listen to this, and then I hope you will go to the website, and under extra credit, there's a link to it. It's also in Karen's News. Look at the video. Look at it. Here is Flip Benham speaking to the city council of the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I don't know what the date was. I think it was about the 24th or so of July. And the first speaker this evening is Mr. Flip Benham from Concord, North Carolina. You have three minutes. Miss Mayor, Council, good to be with you. What I just heard Mr. Mitchell read was just this, and, and the 
And the way that you received it was just a way of putting your middle finger right in the eye of Almighty God and saying that we are God. That we determine what is right and what is wrong. We do. And this book is just discarded. This book called the Bible. You know, it tells us in the Bible, just a word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands guard in vain. In vain you rise up early, toiling, doing all of your things. And God grants sleep to his beloved. Miss Kinsey prayed a prayer. I don't know if that was in the name of Jesus or not. I, she covered a pretty much a number of bases, and that was interesting. But there is one God, and his name is Jesus. And we're going to stand for him in this city. You started the ball rolling on February 28th with this whole transgender issue. You, Miss Roberts, purposefully decided that you were going to go ahead and do this. You were going to try and make transgenderism, sexual orientation, sexual identity, now as somehow a civil right. Ma'am, you cannot make a moral wrong a civil right. You have no right to do that. It's a moral wrong. God has said, ma'am, I'm speaking. have us three minutes. I'm speaking. And ma'am, don't interrupt me, please. You do that all the time. No, Whenever I, I speak. I interrupted the group to let you speak. Ma'am, that's all right. They can say whatever they want to say. Because if God doesn't fix this city, if God isn't the answer, if God isn't at the foundation, you're going to have bloodshed coursing down the corners of our streets, our schools, and our workplaces. And you're not going to have a police force big enough to stop it. Because when you sow bloodshed in the womb and the three abortion mills here in this city, you're going to reap it in the streets. And our God is a God of truth. And these things happen. And when you cast God behind your back, violence always comes in to replace the void. That's why we've got in our schools right now, we've got metal detectors and policemen because they're trying to stop the gangs and violence and drugs that our kids are being turned over to. And now we've got this transgenderism nonsense. Listen, it's not a sin to be black. But it is a sin to be a practicing homosexual. It is a sin. It is not a moral right. It is wrong. And you need to say so. And you've opened up the doors of hell on our city. You and this council. And you need to repent. I'd like to offer up a reward to you that if you'll repent right now in the name of Jesus, there will be peace returning to this city. Now, Miss Roberts, what will you do? That's your three minutes, Mr. Benham. That's your three minutes. Your time is up. I think it may be a little bit fortuitous that this happened when it did and as it did. I have been discussing with a few people uh, street evangelism and impacting the culture on the streets, and one of the things that came up was a video by a guy. His last name is Morell, M-O-R-R-E-L-L. You could probably YouTube him. And he talks about not only how long he's been out on the street and the kind of messages he uses and his delivery and everything like that, but he centers on how to deal with the cops because he says that it is invariable that someone somewhere is going to complain and the cops are going to show up. And if you're not recording the incident and if you don't follow certain rules and if you're not careful to stand on public property instead of private property, all these other things... Then you wind up in the back of a squad car with your hands in cuffs and maybe they take you downtown and give you talking to. Maybe they turn you loose. Maybe you go to jail. He did. 
And most people that I want to energize are probably not the kind of people that are really want to go to jail. Now, I understand this. Peter, James, and John, they spent time in the slammer. It kind of goes with the territory if you get serious. And truth be told, uh, Flip Benham has been in the slammer many times. He is serious. He's, he's very focused on this. He's doing what God has called him to do. This is the landscape that he has to travel through, and if a few pit stops in jail are part of it, he's okay with that. And we should get our minds at that point, too, because things could change come January, if January there be. Suddenly, a lot of things that we take for granted, all of a sudden we can't take for granted anymore. This place could turn into Romania or communist China or something like that. But the reason I bring it up is because right now there's a really safe place that you can go, and it's the gates of the city. Flip went in there, and you can go in there, and you you petition to appear. You might not get more than one opportunity after they find out where you're coming from, but you can petition your city council to go in and appear, and they say you can come in, you can speak for two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, whatever it might be, and you can make your presentation, and even if they don't like it, they can't call the cops. <laughs> okay, everything's filmed anyway. The problem out on the street is a cop shows up, and there's no record, and then he does some really nasty things or says some really nasty things and makes some really ugly threats, and there's no evidence of that. And you go downtown and you accuse him of these things, and it's his word against yours, and um, cops' memories might not be that good, or you might get a cop who actually lies. I know this is mind-blowing to some of you to imagine that a police officer could tell an untruth, but I understand that from time to time it may happen. But if you go to your city council, you are at the city gates. I mean, when it talks about the gates of hell will not prevail, we have turned some of these gates over to the bad guys. But we can still go there, and those gates will not prevail. And as I said, you might only get three minutes to make a presentation. That might be all it takes. I have not been before a city council for a number of years. It was uh, probably, let me think, when was it, 1993 or so, I think. I was living in Rochester, Minnesota. And the city council was considering allowing a strip club or something like that to move into the area and set up shop. And the people were pretty upset about that. And I was among them, and I went down to the city council meeting totally unprepared. I had no idea what I was going to do. But it was right down the street, and it was a Tuesday night or whatever it was, and I went down there, and, and I intended to participate if, if it seemed like an opportunity. Well, the Holy Spirit moves in strange ways, and suddenly I found myself standing before these guys, and I think there were six or eight of them, and I don't remember what I said. And as a matter of fact, uh, I had a friend who worked at the, uh, at the TV station, and they had filmed this thing and played it on the news the next day, and I didn't see it. I, a friend of mine called and told me about it. I was up on the roof at the time. This is a lot of extra detail you don't need, but this is an entertaining program, too. Anyway, I contacted my friend, and they had already erased the tape. They use them quickly, and this was back in the days of VCRs and stuff like that. But the point is, I did it unprepared, off the cuff. I said some things that had an impact, and as it turned out, these business developers who had come down from Minneapolis or something like that, uh, went back to Minneapolis with their tails between their legs and the project did not get approval and it didn't happen. Now, I understand the landscape has changed, but the basic rules there have not. 
And what I would suggest for those of you who are saying, yeah, this might be something I get involved in, and especially if it's a smaller town where you don't have to be intimidated by the fact that it's a you know, million people or something like that, but small town, you might even know some people. You might know your councilman. Uh, you should at least find out who he is. But you could build a team, a prayer team. You could go to that city council meeting every time they have one. And in our area, they have an evening one on the first Tuesday of the month. And then they have Tuesday every other Tuesday in the afternoon they have them. And, of course, the afternoon meetings for people who work I probably couldn't make that one. But the evening one would be a good shot. And if you can make the day ones, do that also. But the point is, you can just go and be there. You can find out what's going on in your city, and at least you can pray. I mean, you can build a prayer team and pray. Now, this is as easy and as painless and as non-confrontational as it gets, is to go to a city council meeting where you're going to have all the cops and everything. You don't have to worry about there's going to be some kooks. There's not going to be a fight. Nobody's going to come after you. Just be there. And find out what's going on in your city and start to pray. And you get there, you show up there every meeting. I'm, we might only have a dozen meetings left. I don't know. Maybe they'll have extra meetings. Maybe there's more. We don't know those things. God orchestrates all of that. What we do is we be available to him in those venues. And suddenly you're down there at a city council meeting and they're talking about something that uh, the Holy Spirit really speaks to you. And the city council chairman says, are there any people who may not have petitioned but who want to step up to the mic and uh, speak their thoughts on this issue since it affects all of us? And the Holy Spirit prods you a couple of times and you go up there and he gives you the words. I mean, we have a promise in the scriptures. He will give you the words to say. How cool is that? And then you can be on the news too. Anyway, um, this is something that I think you should prayerfully consider and I'm going to do it and I am going to pursue this thing and keep you posted on how it works and this is a kind of a segue into where we're going with this thing because we are at the point now i believe uh, we're really in the home stretch i would not be surprised if we're here until next april i would probably be kind of surprised if we're here until next september but we don't know and i'm inclined to think that one of the best things that can happen spiritually to this country uh, will be on the other side of the upcoming election. So the harvest fields are really going to turn white in a hurry. And God's going to need boots on the ground, that's us guys, in order to go out into the streets and highways and hedges, hedges and byways and all of that sort of thing and give people the good news. Because I believe that a curtain of terror is going to fall on the United States of America beyond what we could imagine. And it may be that some of us are going to be living without natural gas and air conditioning and stuff like that. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to change in the way we live, I believe. But this is going to really bring the harvest to maturity. Those people who are to be saved are going to be clamoring for a word of hope. And that's where we fit in. So... Uh, having said that, and having already played one clip, I'm going to play the second clip. This is the worldview in five minutes, and, and I'm going to comment on something that the lovely and gracious Hillary Clinton contributes to the discussion. Just on the other side of this, the next voice you hear, Adam McManus, worldview in five minutes, and I'll be right back. 
It's Monday, August 1st, 2016 A.D. This is The World View in 5 Minutes. I'm Adam McManus. In an interview with Chris Wallace on yesterday's Fox News Sunday, Hillary Clinton explained that every right Americans enjoy is open to and subject to reasonable regulations, especially the right to keep and bear arms. And the Second Amendment includes an individual right to bear arms. Yes, but that right, like every other of our rights, our First Amendment rights, every right that we have is open to and even subject to reasonable regulations. Democratic vice presidential nominee Tim Kaine told CNN that he still opposes using taxpayer money to fund abortions, a position that clashes with Hillary Clinton. One more issue, Senator, the Hyde Amendment Mm -hmm. that bans taxpayer funding for abortion, Mm -hmm. for or against it? I have been uh, for the Hyde Amendment. I haven't changed my position on that. Kaine, who is Catholic, says he is personally opposed to abortion, but supports the legal right to obtain one. He has earned a 100% rating from Planned Parenthood during his time in the Senate. A pastor in Turkey made headlines when he chose to forgive a group of Muslims who damaged his church. According to ChristianToday.com, Pastor Mata decided not to press charges against the Muslim men who broke windows and damaged a security camera at the pastor's rented church building. The extremists were reportedly angered that Muslims were accepting Christ as Savior. Pastor Mata told the judge, quote, I'm not pressing charges because the Lord asked me to forgive, unquote. In Matthew 5:44, Jesus commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Brazil's anti-terror chief, Luiz Salaberry, admitted there is a, quote, credible threat, unquote, that ISIS will target Rio with a dirty bomb this month during the Olympics. A dirty bomb is a weapon that combines radioactive material with conventional explosives. The Republican Party platform approved language supporting the religious liberty rights for foreign homeschool families who wish to emigrate to America. The platform also registers opposition to Common Core and far-reaching United Nations domestic treaties affecting parental rights. After absorbing nearly $1 billion in losses last year, Humana, one of the nation's leading health insurance providers, announced that it is pulling out of Obamacare plans in nearly all states, according to Forbes.com. The announcement came the same day the Obama administration declared that it would take legal action against the merger between Humana and Aetna, another top five health insurance provider. The new Sentinel The newspaper of record in Knoxville, Tennessee, is treating the word Christian as if it were an obscenity. Fox News reports that the owners rejected a classified ad from the Cedar Springs Christian store. Operator of the store, Lois McGinnis, was shocked, saying, As Christians, this was a slap in the face to us. Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. John 15, 18. WorldNetDaily.com is reporting a new wrinkle in the Planned Parenthood baby body parts case. Troy Newman, president of Operation Rescue, said, quote, We believe that the grand juries under the Harris County District Attorney's authority were tainted beyond redemption by a personal and political agenda to cover up crimes of abortion providers, unquote. It turns out that one of the top lawyers in the Houston area DA's office sits on the board of the local Planned Parenthood. 
and that the prosecutors apparently coordinated information with Planned Parenthood. After two years of training, skydiver Luke Akins has become the first person to jump from 25,000 feet without a parachute, landing safely in a 100-foot by 100-foot net in Simi Valley, California. Fox Television, which broadcast his two-minute fall live on Saturday night, initially insisted that he must wear a parachute, but withdrew the obligation at the last minute. The BBC reports that after securing the world record for the highest jump without a parachute or wingsuit, Aikens gave his wife and young son a big hug. And that's the world view on this Monday, August 1st, in the year of our Lord, 2016. Invite your friends to listen to this unique Christian newscast at theworldview.com. I'm Adam McManus. Seize the day for Jesus Christ. That was edited slightly for length and content. The main thing is that Adam is unabashedly uh, pro-Republican and on and on and on. And some of the segments that they come up with sound more like commercials for Trump or campaigning for Trump rather than presentation of the news. So I kind of clipped those out. But if you want to hear the whole thing, theworldview.com. Today's is about six, six and a half minutes long. As I said, this was trimmed a little bit. Now, if you were listening, you heard Hillary suggest that constitutional rights should be subject to reasonable regulation. And as we know, the Democrats lie all the time, so when she says that, she doesn't really mean it. She's just playing to the leftists that support her. But actually, if she gets in, there would be no way that she would ever really regulate constitutional rights. (laughs) Okay? Who decides what's reasonable? And How is this regulation enforced? Those are the questions that need to come up because I'm going to tell you right now that folks on the left and some of the folks that pretend to be on the right are hell-bent in stripping away all of these God-given rights. Now, whether or not they are God-given rights is a separate discussion, and I think that you should maybe think about that a little bit. I'm not going to explore it right now. But it would seem that if we do have rights that come from God, that God would have given us a record someplace, that he would have indicated somewhere in the scriptures that these are your rights. And I haven't found that passage yet. What I have found, however, is that we are made in the image of God, we are image bearers for God, and that therefore we are to reflect the character of God Wherever we go, however we behave, whatever we're doing, we are supposed to be God's representatives and we're supposed to represent God's character. So the question then comes up, well, what do we need to do in order to do that? Do we need freedom of speech in order to represent God? Do we need freedom of the press? Do we need the right to keep and bear arms? And these are serious, open questions that I would uh, propose that you at least maybe think on a little bit as we get into these discussions, because let's face it, from now until November, as we are discussing politics here in the United States, and maybe where you live also, because what happens here in the U.S. obviously is going to ripple around the world. But you should try to have 
within the context of your understanding and your presentation as you engage people, a biblical underpinning, a biblical undergirding. And you may find other reasons besides the fact that we are God's image bearers that would tend to support the idea that we, as a matter of divine right, have freedom of speech, freedom of the press, right to keep and bear arms, uh, innocent till proven guilty, don't witness against yourself, all that stuff. Now, in case you haven't noticed, there is one overarching theme that pulls all of this stuff together, and it's something that I have been harping on for a while. I hope I'm not the only one. I hope you're taking this for action, and I hope that you're sharing this message with your other Christian brothers and sisters, wherever they may be. But the message is simply this. Authentic Christianity, Christ-pleasing Christianity, is not an academic exercise. It's a life of obedience to the commands of Christ. It's action. It's doing stuff. Along those lines, I posted something yesterday. I hope you saw it on the homework page, but if you didn't, that's okay, because I'm going to read the salient points to you. Then you will be without excuse. Something written by the late Dr. C.S. Lovett. He entitles it, Seven Steps When Facing a Trial. And he begins with a little anecdote of something that really happened, I believe, where he was pastoring a church and one of his church members was terminally ill with cancer. And this terminally ill Christian called Dr. Lovett and said that he was dying and that he was afraid of standing face to face before Christ because he'd wasted his life. He said, I haven't lived for him like I should. I've worked to get ahead in the world in good times. I have almost nothing to show for my time on earth. I know I'm going to be standing before him real soon, and I dread what he is going to say to me. Now, I want you to understand, once again, this is not drama. This is not academics. This is something that really happened and really could happen, maybe happens a lot. I don't know. But imagine yourself at death's door, looking back over your life and realizing that all the opportunities that you had in your life to put Jesus first, your career, your family, your church involvement, your anything else took place of that. The guy's name was Bill, and Dr. Lovett writes, it hurts God to have any of his children go out of this life like Bill. You expect most believers to be happy at the thought of leaving this life and being with Jesus. The Lord is not going to reward people for living for themselves instead of living for him. The hard truth is the place we give the Lord Jesus in this life determines the place he will give us in the next. He knows that it's hard to serve a Lord that we can't see, and of course we get distracted very easily. And so then the point of this whole thing is dealing with adversity, understanding that adversity is something that God allows in order to draw us to himself. So that, I mean, he could wipe out Satan with a word. He could say, you're done, lake of fire for you, and it would not violate God's justice or anything to do that. But God is using the devil. He's using the dark forces. He's using all of these things that come up against us in order to bring us to maturity. This is really important stuff. He uses a quote by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. It's not the force of the gale, 
but the cut of the sail that determines the way we go. With a sail set properly, a ship can use the fiercest wind to reach its destination quickly. It's not the force of the wind that makes the difference, but what a seaman does with it. So it is with trouble in our lives. It is not the severity of the trouble or the trial that determines what happens to us. What determines what happens to us is our attitude. If we have the right attitude, we can make dramatic changes into the likeness of Christ. Remember, he suffered hardships and troubles and all that also. Then Dr. Lovett gives seven steps to follow when a trial is sent into your life. Now, I'm going to read these seven steps, and I want you to first think of some difficulty, some trial, marriage trouble, work trouble, financial issues, health issues, whatever it might be, something that's giving you grief or has given you grief in the recent past. Think of how you responded to it and how you dealt with it, and then consider these seven steps. When a crisis comes, he says, first acknowledge that the Lord is trying to get your attention. He is forcing you to consider his plan for your life. So when your crisis came, is that what you did? Did you see this as something that was coming from God to get your attention? Secondly, assume that it's no accident. It is indeed from the Lord. That shifts your eyes from your circumstances to Christ. And then thank him for the trial. Remember the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Part of it is to be thankful in everything. So you thank him for the trial. You acknowledge that your life is in his hands. And you remember that anyone who loves you as much as he does won't hurt you. He's doing it for your ultimate good. Fourth item then, ask the Lord for wisdom to see what he's trying to teach you. And that's James chapter 1 verse 5. The battle is half won once you see the change that God is after. I've known people, maybe you have too, always in really frustrating situations. Anything that tries their patience, well, God's trying to develop patience in them, trying to get them to let go of some of their own things, perhaps. You look at them, you can figure this stuff out. Number five, excuse me, be cheerful in your situation. Sad complaints to others are really expressions of doubt in the Lord's wisdom and goodness. So, you're in a trial. You go to all your brothers and sisters, bemoaning how horrible it is, crying and carrying on, complaining, grumbling in your tent, as they did in the Old Testament. Or, do you acknowledge that God's in charge of this thing and learn to be cheerful with it? doesn't mean you have to like it. I mean, yeah, it's painful. I understand that. I've been through some of this stuff too. But it's still attitude. We're talking attitude here. Number six, tell God you're willing to make the changes, that you want to be like Jesus no matter what the cost. Then as you see the change God is after, go to work on it. Finally, as you feel the pain of reaching for maturity, remember this. When I am getting the worst of it, God is making the most of it to see that I get the best of it. You need to know this. The Spirit can bear witness that the name of the game is change. We've got to grow now. Tomorrow may be too late. There's no makeup classes. We enter heaven just as we are at the point of death or rapture, and we will never change after that. 
we will want to grow up into the likeness of the Lord as much as possible, and we only get this life to do that. So once we leave the world, the conditions for change simply don't exist. I mean, when we get to heaven, there aren't going to be any tears, there won't be any pain or sorrow, no devil to tempt us, no hurt to forgive, no anxiety to conquer, no way to become long-suffering. So if you have to become long-suffering, I mean, suffer a long time. That's this life. So the conditions for growth into Jesus' likeness don't exist in heaven. The time is now. So for what it's worth, and I think it's worth a great deal, if you get to the homework page, check that out. If you don't, listen to this over again. But please apply that to your life. This is important stuff. I am done for the day. I have an interesting appointment tonight. Maybe I'll tell you about it tomorrow. Never know. Tomorrow, um, maybe, maybe, tomorrow night I'm going to the city council meeting. And I will tell you about that on Wednesday. God bless all of you. Thanks for all you do. Please keep me in your prayers. Bye for now. Got a feeling in my bones, in my bones, I got a feeling.